Hey everyone, forgot to mention this in the actual episode, so I'm just going to do it now at the start of the episode. This episode was live-streamed, and if you want to catch future live-streams, we'll try to announce them as early as we can on Reddit and our, you know, speed-solving thread and stuff. But also, if you want to catch me live-streaming, in addition to the live-streaming stuff I am talking about in this episode, I'm also going to be, if you're listening to this right when it comes out, on Saturday in the afternoon sometime, I am going to be on the Pandemonium Institute's Twitch channel playing the game Blood on the Clock Tower. So if you want to watch that and see what this Blood on the Clock Tower game that you've heard me talk about before on this podcast is all about, uh, come check that out. Anyway, just wanted to say that in case you were interested. Enjoy the episode. Are we starting? Did we start? I'll probably start somewhere in there. Yeah, uh, cut out the realization that we didn't do the show correctly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll act like we did that on purpose. Only yeah. the stream people will know. Right, exactly. All right, so, hello, this is Layer by Layer. Is it? Yeah, we'll say that. This is Layer by Layer, a cubing podcast, the show ostensibly about Rubik's Cubes, speed cubing, and occasionally slash often about other things. Hey, and it's, today, it's my job to be organized and actually read the things on the dock. You're supposed to, you know, be wild and crazy and do nothing organized at all. Okay, all right, all right, all right. You have to fall in line, Andrew. Fall in okay. line. I'm sorry, I'll, 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 I'll do my job. <laughs> you do it. Okay, this is an episode of Layer by Layer. What is it, 34 or something? Yes. 34? Okay, cool. This is episode 34 of Layer by Layer, a cubing podcast. The show ostensibly, in parentheses, about Rubik's Cubes, speed cubing, and only occasionally, slash often, about other things. Did I do it right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Did you do anything remotely, like, chaotic or... Did you not hear me ringing the bell? No. Wait, really? No. (laughs) (laughs) I can hear it now. Got it. (laughs) What, did you think I was talking slow because I could hear the bell? (laughs) Uh, Today is... Is, the, is what the thing says correct? It's not, is it? No, I just updated it. It is correct, but it's not Friday. Oh, it isn't Friday, It's not Friday. Though. No, it's Wednesday, June 17th. Yes. It's Wednesday, my dudes. Uh, you can discuss the show on our subreddit or on you, our You just highlighted the word Friday in the document and then yep. didn't change it to Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> what, can, what can I say? I am a chaotic evil. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. I'm just going to highlight <laughs> Wednesday now for the rest of the show. Yeah. All right. Great. Perfect. <laughs> uh, and also, our logo was made by Sarah Olson. Absolutely. That is correct. You can discuss the show on Reddit at HTTPS colon slash slash red D-I-T dot C-O-M slash R slash layerbylayer.reddit.com um, oh, you almost did it you, you basically <laughs> combined two urls i did or you can do it on the speed solving forum at https colon slash slash www.speedsolving.com slash thread slash the dash layer dash lit by dash layer pot dot dot seven six nine two one slash or you can just go to speed solving and find the thread yeah it's true <laughs> You could do those things if you really wanted to, but probably not. Um, 
And sometimes you can find the show on Twitch at Colorful Pockets' Twitch channel or Kit's first Twitch channel. Yeah. Like like today. Like right now. For everybody now. Who's, who's not listening live, we are currently streaming this on my Twitch channel. We announced it with kind of short notice this time, so I would understand if you're not here. I got a new mic, so uh, we had to kind of play by when my mic equipment <laughs> yeah. arrived. Which originally was supposed to be Monday, so we th- actually thought we were going to record this a day ago. But uh, my mic's my mic was here, but my stand and pop filter didn't come till like seven thirty last night. So just decided to do it today. All right. Well, we've got a good amount of stuff to talk about today, mostly in follow up. So yeah, <laughs> uh, and mostly from me. So all right, let let's get into follow up as we always do. So last episode we talked about generating random state 7 by 7 scrambles and how basically like javascript's random engine doesn't have enough bit depth to account for all of the states um on a 7 by 7 i was thinking what would stop us from just like rolling the java randomness die multiple times because like surely there's some way that like i could generate a random state on a 7 by 7 using like a d6 couldn't i Mm -hmm. somehow like i I feel like there's got to be a way that you could devise to do that where it's still like equiprobable for each state yeah if you roll a d6 like i don't, I don't know how what six to the what's what, six to the thousand too big for google to calculate in, a, in its calculator so probably yeah. big enough for a seven by seven <laughs> and, and like obviously like you could roll it enough times to get enough states i just wonder if like like what would the method be to flatten out the distribution because you're going to get kind of like a bell curve distribution in terms of what numbers you roll um, well i mean you can always use a rejection method but then that becomes fairly inefficient like yeah you you would want to like pick like the the correct uh, n-sided die basically that wouldn't like so like if you like are just short and you just like rolling two would be enough you would need to like figure out the smallest n that just barely creates the largest set of like tuples of rolls if that makes sense, because <laughs> kind of, yeah, because the problem is like if like the number of states, the, the, well, here's the thing, though, is that um, every like uh, number of states available for a cube, I guess actually it's not true because we always remove at least the solve state. So, OK, the number of states of a cube is like a, a factor of many different, you know, generally small numbers. So generally it's going to be multi- like divisible by something that's nice, but my mind's just kind of all over the place, and I can't form a thought. Andrew, you talk about something. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, I was just thinking there probably is a way to generate random state on 7x7 seven seven using Java, even though it has a limited number of states you can actually get to within like their, their random engine. Mm-hmm. There probably is a way to do it anyway, but it would be so inefficient that... We, we, need to wor- we need to worry about getting a solver first. Like We barely have yeah, a right. solver for 5x5 five five that is like... It's not. It's like only approaching feasibility. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not too concerned about the how to deal with generating a random seven by seven state until <laughs> there's an actual efficient solver. So, yeah. But with that being said, if it's not a memory issue, like if the now that I have collected my thoughts, because um, I'm wondering if it's like a memory issue where like if you have that many states available to pick from that like it's just Java can't handle that. Or I guess mm-hmm. it's it's more of an issue, though, just that the random generator can't pick from too many things at once. Right. I, I guess there's al- there's always the possibility that like, sure, the random generator could get there if you if you do like generate multiple random numbers but then you would just run out of memory yeah that would make sense as well (laughs) yeah so i don't yeah i'm not a programmer or at least a experienced enough programmer to know what uh 
the limitations are exactly here if it is just like if it's truly a limitation of the bigness of the die or if it's a limitation of the memory associated with the bigness of the die (laughs) yeah (laughs) because then in that case like rolling two dice i don't know if that really fixes anything (laughs) i don't know yeah it's also possible that like sure you could roll the die multiple times but you would need to roll it so many times that it like is larger than the size of the universe or something i don't know these things you always run into these weird things when you have these combinatorics uh, yeah issues. well and really they just huge quickly the, the easier way to really do any random state sort of configuration is just to like go by piece type like if you're trying to generate a random state of a three by three like just generate a random permutation of the numbers one through eight one through twelve and then go through each corner and generate just you know zero one or two to determine which way that's it, the corners are oriented and do a coin flip for each edge except for the last edge and corner which have to be done based on the previous flips and or twists you would also have to have like if the a permutation of the eight numbers is odd you have to make sure that the permutation of the 12 edges is also odd yeah I so i mean that's probably the, the the easiest way to generate a state because you can do it literally by generating the state itself rather than yeah. like already pre-generating a list of all possible states. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and by doing it that way, like you don't like to generate, for example, like on a seven by seven, like all of the, you know, in like innermost wings, um, like you do a 24, uh, a permutation of 24 elements so just n- numbers one through 24, each representing a piece, and then correspond all of the positions of that, the numbers one through 24 in that order to pieces on the puzzle. Repeat that for, you know, all piece types, and you could build a state that way, too. Yeah, so it's definitely possible to generate the states. Yeah, it seems like it, unless there's some memory issue that I'm not considering here, but it seems like you could encode it in a way that the me- it could easily be handled by the memory. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, well, XYZZY, who, of course, was the initial impetus for that yeah. discussion, uh, has also uh, put in a comment about CS Timer FMC scramble filtering. Oh, yeah, it's awful. Yeah, I wasn't aware that this happened. So I apparently, was very aware. <laughs> apparently, CS Timer, instead of doing what T-Noodle does, where it like generates a scramble in a smart way, because um, as many of you probably know, in FMC, all scrambles start with r prime u prime f and end with r prime u prime f yep um and that's just basically to pad the scrambles a little bit and change all the eos so that it's unlikely that somebody's intuitive solution will start with that yeah and just be like inverting the scramble well yeah and it makes sense too because dr is the way that scrambles are generated and dr yeah. often be like dr has to go through eo at some point while most of the time, like the way Cube Explorer, like solute solvers will f- solve DR is like with a seven move EO and eight move DR, uh, mm-hmm. which is not really a human way to do it. But sometimes it does find like a short EO subset in the midst of that DR. And um, if the scramble were unprotected by R prime U prime F, you could very easily just find a short EO that's just like the inverse of a few moves of the scramble. And then state like, oh, this is an EO substep, and really, there's not much of a way we could doubt you. So that was kind of why they added the padding. Is it one? It does affect e- every EO axis, but number two, it also makes it deterministic. So if you just happen to like start your solution, like if you apply the normal scramble, and your first two moves happen to be F prime U, like that's fine. We picked R prime U prime F 
is to always be those three moves. Mm-hmm. So like if you happen to pick a couple moves that into that R prime U prime F cancellation, like sure, that's just by chance you happen to find those two moves for that specific scramble to be the most productive moves to start with. But it's not like you could choose them potentially because of the scramble, because every scramble has that as its finish. Yeah, exactly. Like, if you wanted to start every every solution with F prime UR, sure, you could do that, but it literally gets you nowhere, because... Yeah, unless like, it, you got a scramble where that might produce some sort of progress. Yeah, yeah. and in that case, yeah, but, like, there's no way to inherently know that, whereas... If the scrambles weren't padded with that, then doing the first three moves of the inverse of a scramble would presumably get you closer to the solved state in some capacity. All right, sorry to sorry to d- derail you. I just I see a lot of misunderstandings about why that is actually used, so I wanted to clarify. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so the way T Noodle generates those scrambles is by coming up with a smart way of getting to that state using the padding. And making it so that the padding won't cancel, so you don't have like R prime U prime F F prime or something um, mm-hmm. in your scramble, because then then that just doesn't actually effectively pad anything. Right? Yeah, you're you're de- you're effectively deleting the padding that you built up to protect yeah. the scramble. <laughs> yeah. So in order to so T noodle has a smart way of doing that. I don't exactly know what T noodle's way of doing it, but it's some way that it it can still generate every single state, and it'll just always have the padding. Apparently, CS timer. It pads the scrambles with the thing. It'll take a scramble. It'll pad it with R prime U prime F. And then if there's any canceling moves, it just throws that scramble out. It's just like, no, we don't want to do that state anymore. Yep. So um, as yeah. a result, CS timer, instead of like being having access to the full scramble space, it just throws out all the scrambles that start with an F move or that end with an R move, I guess. Right. And yeah and like one surprising thing so um basically the um padding that we do is equivalent to what's known as an automorphism in in abstract algebra and it's been shown that basically if because it's like um basically if, if you take in in group theory a any any group and apply to all elements like some additional element of the group Mm-hmm. using like whatever group operation which in this case is just apply the moves in order um is our is basically the operation of it of the rubik's cube as a group automorphisms in in groups guarantee that basically like if you apply these moves onto any element in the group you will get a new set of elements that's identical to the one you started with right because yeah you're taking every state to another state that is related to it yes so essentially like even if you if you randomly generate a scramble without the padding and then apply the padding the resulting scramble that you get with the padding is still a randomly selected state like the only way that you could get to that particular state with the padding is by generating the unpadded state that you picked yeah you're basically you're doing a what's it called a it's it's a subjective and an injective function, right? What's it called? A bi- bijective. Yeah, it's a bijection. bijective. There we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, yeah an automor- it's-, it's a little bit more in group theory. There's a bit more structure than just a bijection, okay. too. But um, that's that's the important part here for at least understanding why basically that you can do this padding and you don't have to like figure like generate a state and then figure out what the moves would be with the padding to get to that state. You can just generate mm-hmm. any state and then say well, we don't really care if it's that particular state. We can add the padding, get a new state, and still say that new state was randomly generated. 
Yeah. Because math is cool. And actually, yeah, that's a good... Uh, I am kind of glancing at the chat here. As uh, Skubit says, scrambling from the same position every time maintains random state for the same reason. Yes. Because uh, you're just you're just doing a function to your starting state in that case. Yep, yeah. If you always apply like the same moves to the start of your scramble and then just... Like, so, like, say, like, you always start every scramble with, like, checkerboard and then apply the scramble. Yeah, that's still a random state uh, because the it, – it, it's another example of an automorphism. It would be, in this case, a left automorphism. You're applying moves and then applying the random state, so therefore it must still be random. Yeah, so – So, yeah, don't use don't use CS timer for FMC if you really care about having a – perfect distribution of scrambles yeah i'm actually curious what the bias is i don't know it's like i don't know if you could build a this is kind of like going back into our topic of like if that you brought up before like is it okay to generate yeah (laughs) something from a subset of states yeah because it's it's interesting because you're eliminating all states that start with f or end with r in in the scramble but the scramble doesn't have anything to do with the state itself necessarily it's just one way of getting there. yeah it has to do with the program that's used to generate the random, yeah. the random state in terms of moves. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's very interesting that um, it, it, I I don't have any any sense or intuition basically as to why or how the sta- the scrambles are biased by CS timer. Um, but there's there has to be some sort of bias that does exist, yeah. <laughs> even if it's negligible. There must be some bias there. So, I, I mean, I personally probably wouldn't worry about it. Like, I'd just keep using CS Timer for yeah. <laughs> FMC scrambles because I don't want to boot up T-Noodle every time. Fair. Uh, fair. But then again, I just grab scrambles from, like, weekly competitions anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. That's I, I, that, that basically is enough for me, too, is to, like, you know, do speed solving weeklies or, um, yeah, like, Facebook. I, I rarely touch the Facebook weekly, but <laughs> they, I don't think I ever do more than three attempts in a week anyways. All right. Well, moving on to the next topic of follow-up. Congratulations to Alpha Cuber is awesome on the speed solving forums and our layer by layer thread for guessing the bell this time. It was a very simple bell. Um, <laughs> the bell just rang every time Kit said something that rhymed with like ale, snail, sail, etc. Pale. Uh, Whale. Yep. Yep. Trail. And it's a different bell now, so Aww. you're, you're not going to get me. Uh, <laughs> M- uh, it was a very simple bell. It kind of threw people off because you kept saying ocean-related things, um, but then somebody else noticed the other common thread, um, and yep, that was it. It was just really simple, and it didn't work that well because I'm pretty sure I was I like I was listening pretty intently in the shows, and you never said any words like naturally that rhymed with that. I was really thinking they were common enough, but uh, apparently not. Um, yeah, so I just kind of had to force you to say them, and then you, in the very first one, you gave a big hint, because I was trying to get you to say sail, and you said snail, and I was like, well, you gotta ring the bell for that yeah. anyway, uh, so, yeah, anyway, there's a new bell, feel free to try to guess it, yeah. and yes, those bells at the start of the podcast were the new bell. Oh, the when you were ringing the bell as I was introducing the show? Most of them were. <laughs> And I might have rung the bell a few more times than absolutely necessary, but that's my prerogative. (laughs) Cool. I still have the word cakes in the show notes, and I don't know why, uh, so we'll skip that. (laughs) (laughs) Is is this going to be like a new gag where we just like mention that cakes is at the top of our show notes every time and we still don't know what it's about? It it just is. I... I... I don't know, right after like our last show, I put the word cakes into our show notes for some reason. 
I don't know why. It's just there. <laughs> okay, cool. Cakes. Well, <laughs> yep, that's all we have to say on that topic. All right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Next. You want to talk about streaming? Yeah, so um, Andrew and I have both kind of been getting back into doing Twitch streaming uh, a bit more regularly. I guess, I don't I don't know if you've done much Twitch streaming like until very recently. I've certainly not done any Rubik's Cube Twitch streaming. I've done like a couple of game streams. Gotcha. Uh, but not much. Yeah, because I was, I was a fairly active like cubing streamer in 2018, but the community, at least in terms of cubing, was still very small on Twitch. Um, yeah. Like, it's kind of interesting as I feel like, I don't think Twitch cubing really would have taken off at all without COVID kind of yeah. forcing people to do something different. Yeah, it's true. It seems like there's a, quite a few people who started streaming recently, and that's been pretty fun. Yeah, so we, we've both been getting back into it a little bit. All right, um, what were, let's see. Anyway, what do I want to say about streaming? Well, we're doing it right I now. Wanna, <laughs> yeah, we are doing it right now, so that's cool. <laughs> yeah, one thing that um, I think has really been fun, at least in terms of streaming, at least for me, is that... Uh, I think that it's given a lot more rise to more unofficial events. Like FTO is an obvious <laughs> reason mm-hmm. for this, but face turning octahedron. Yes, yeah, the face turning octahedron. Uh, there's been a huge community of people who um, they started doing Sunday morning competitions, and uh, it's been cool because the um, community has like a lot of the people at least just start streaming their weekly attempts on Sundays. Um, and it's given a lot mm-hmm. of sort of notoriety to FTO because like uh, there's a huge perception that like, oh man, FTO is so popular. And it's like, I think there's literally like 15 to 20 people at, or maybe a little more than that that are like on the FTO leaderboards. And it's just mm-hmm. a lot of people who are interested in it because people are doing it. But the people who like FTO are just doing a really good job of, you know, promoting their event by yeah. using <laughs> streaming. So it's kind of, it, it's been interesting to me because it's like, I think that, if there's if people are interested in making some event official that like doing things like you know promoting your event with like online competitions on Twitch and making it like more visible seems to really kind of give this impression that like this is a popular event especially right now when there's not competitions going on so there's nothing else like to to like if you're going to be watching something going on on Twitch you're not like watching results from live competitions and stuff so every event is kind of equal but yeah that is that is a cool thing i i know we've talked about it before but what do you think about cubing on Twitch in general um <laughs> because i will say that i'm still not convinced it's very entertaining (laughs) despite the fact that i'm doing it i yeah i think that i agree like most of the times i watch i try to watch people streaming cubing on youtube i'm not the most entertained in the world um yeah (laughs) unless the thing is is like i don't typically like i don't come to the channel for the cubing i come for watching people just doing their solves <laughs> or not so no wait no wait what no that's not what i meant to say why am i did you just say the exact opposite of what you meant to yeah, say? yeah i did i said <laughs> i come for anything but their solves i come for like you know their conversation like the either like the community that's around this the stream like keaton streams for example like and whenever he streams like a lot of people that i know are in the chat just kind of hanging mm-hmm. out or you know like screwing with his uh <laughs> 
song cue um or you know yeah it just it, and that's like more the reason why i generally go is not for cubing it's just kind of like the community that's surrounding it and i think in order to kind of build that community you need to actually be sort of an interesting person that you know talks about interesting things on stream i don't know or you have to have like a really it's something that's like worth watching like the monkey league stuff with like you know yeah highly competitive uh cubing that you know is interesting to watch in that sense yeah definitely like the really fast cubers i think are interesting to watch um even like keaton definitely falls into that group but yeah i feel like for a lot of other people it's not quite as interesting without the other community stuff i do have an idea for how i can stream and make it more interesting though because i've done i've done three so far three streams the first two were just like normal cubing stuff the third one was on a day when twitch was like all messed up uh oh and so like not very many people came to show up and like the chat was showing weirdly and stuff i don't know twitch was having problems uh, a couple days ago or maybe yesterday i don't remember when that was but yeah so that one i ended up i don't know that was just ended up being a weird stream i just decided to try out a bunch of different like setups so i tried playing a game i pl- tried streaming a couple different things but i haven't been feeling like i've been doing that good of streams just because i'm like i don't know i'm not not quite used to just having a running commentary with myself yeah and i don't feel like interacting with the chat I'm inter- inter- I don't feel like I'm interacting with the chat in all I didn't mean to say I don't feel like interacting. Yeah. <laughs> I don't feel like interact I don't feel like I was interacting with the chat in all that interesting of ways. Right. So, I have an idea that I'm going to try out um to try to make it a more interesting and more entertaining show. Okay. Um focused on the idea of like collaborating with other people and focusing a lot less on the cubing and just having that more as an activity for like a background for discussions. Okay. Um and like banter and jokes and stuff like that. With, like, uh, occasional cubing challenges and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, that are, like, more silly events and stuff that would actually be entertaining to watch. So that's my current plan going forward. I'm going to call it... Uh, like I'm going to try to make it, like, an actual show. Okay, that's interesting. I'm, I, might, I might be doing that, like, this Friday. I'm not sure. Depends on if I can get enough others interested by then. <laughs> so what what is the show just going to be, like, a talk show? Or... Do... Kind of. Okay. It's, so uh, the idea for this kind of comes from... Uh, the Northern Lion live super show on Twitch, which is, I mean, it's video games, so, like, it's more of what is usually on Twitch, mm-hmm. but none of them are, like, particularly great at the video games they're playing or anything. They're just, like, it's really just, like, a background, kind of, for their commentary and them discussing things and them just, like, going off on wild tangents and stuff. Yeah. And that's always really fun and interesting to watch and, like, just, ha- and it's more about just, like, having a visual element. Right. So what you're saying is that li- you're, what you're doing is a live visual podcast. Kinda, yeah. Okay. That, that's that's kind of the goal, but it's it, it's not going to be like the sort of thing where you would necessarily want to listen back on it as like a podcast because it's going to kind of just be like an in the moment thing. I feel like that adds a bit of entertainment value. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's it's it, I, it, like podcasts are not. I don't know. I see I see a lot of people who do podcasts like live on YouTube and then just like upload the podcast later. Like I mean, kind of like what mm-hmm. we're doing, but. As someone who, like, listens to those podcasts, like, after the fact, it's really irritating, like, if you're not there live, to, like, listen to constantly these people, like, talking about what is happening on the live stream. Yeah, like, like we're going to occasionally do that here. Like, we might mention something like, oh, someone right. in the chat room said this thing that I want to talk about. Yeah, exactly. But for the most part, we're just ignoring chat. We're ignoring the fact that we're doing this live and we're just talking to each other to make it a good podcast right yeah i mean this podcast is not like primarily meant to be a live event like it's meant to be you know something that is 
listen like you can listen to it anytime and like there's not necessarily a synchronous component to it i don't know it, it, and it's like fine like if it happens like a, like if there's like dedicated segments to using twitch chat or if there are like things that are brought up in twitch chat that like are noticed and it's like oh i should talk about that because it's relevant to the topic i'm talking about right now but i don't know there's like a couple podcasts i listen to and it just uh i get really irritated when they mention too many things about what's going on live because it's like are you recording this for me as a listener in the future or are you recording this for the people who are there live yeah like it's like you're kind of like trying to do both and it's irritating for everyone yeah so (laughs) i I definitely do feel like there's a big difference between like a live show and just like a podcast with a visual element Mm -hmm. podcast podcast with a visual element mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> um, yeah as as i say that live on the podcast like i watch our uh your viewer number drop by like six or seven people uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh that's funny nice. uh <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so hopefully i'll be doing that and i should have a schedule for that soon and we'll see if that works out i'll keep you updated on this podcast as to whether or not that works out <laughs> Are you going to bring me on? If you want to be on. It's going to be kind of an open thing. Like, uh, as you know, I've created a Discord server for it. Mm -hmm. um, And I'm just going to kind of be like, hey, I'm going to be doing this stream now. Whoever wants to hop on and join me can do so. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, And ideally, other people who do join me can also stream themselves at the same time. Uh, That was also part of the plan, was to make it like a big community event so that whoever Mm -hmm. is on, on the stream with me is also streaming. Um, so that you can kind of hop in and join wherever. Is it not like uh, weird to have? I don't. It, it almost seems like people could be like s- sniping each other by and like splitting the viewers around to m- many different people. Yeah, that could happen. We'll see. That uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's again based on the Northern Lion Live Super Show sort of model. Okay, that's how they do it. But it's just kind of like they a- obviously have much larger audiences, so that might be less relevant there. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that works out. It's all kind of an experiment. Right. Yeah. Cause I imagine for like a smaller audience, it's like, I almost feel like you want more, like at least early on, like more people to coalesce around one channel rather yeah. than split everyone up into different areas. That might kind of happen naturally. Like mm. my channel will obviously be like the main one cause I'm the one hosting it and I'll be there through like, there's going to be like different segments on the show and people will drop in and out. Yeah. So People might end up just on my channel mainly, but yeah. I don't know. I guess, and I guess if you bring on bigger cubers, like that generally pull more viewers, mm-hmm. then that will potentially like bring more people in to yeah. your channel. So I don't know. Maybe that could be good for growth then too. I don't know. Yeah. It's an experiment. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. I But I, yeah, I, the important thing there is, I feel like the streams I've been doing so far aren't all that interesting and I want to change that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I kind of feel somewhat similarly. I think that um, at least me doing unofficial events is doing at least something that's like uh, different. Yeah. I mean the, the stream of yours that I caught recently where you did master pyramids, I was actually, actually quite interested in watching that. So. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Apparently yeah. <laughs> I am good at engaging chat or something. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, because I I really think that's what it boils down to is like if you're going to do cubing streaming, like I think one example of um, you have to you have to fit your niche. And the example I think about of someone who like fits their niche well in terms of cubing streaming is Taslin. I don't know if you've heard of this streamer. Don't think I have. Okay. Although Keaton might have mentioned him to me when I asked. 
talk to Keaton. I don't remember that. Yeah. So Taslin, I think he's like a 25 to 26 second three by three solver. And he mostly just solves three by threes, but is just a very, mm-hmm. like, I don't particularly care for his personality, but he has a, a persona that he uses for streaming, like a very mm-hmm. distinct persona that uh, it's kind of like, like a, I don't know, it's, it's pretty stereotypical for Twitch. Like the kind of like, yo, like, like we BFFs in here, kind of like I don't know. That's that's the vibe I got from watching Taslin's stream. It's it's got that very like stereotypical like community focused like you're welcome here kind of uh, thing, and it's maybe a little over the top too with kind of like the hype mentality a bit too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it works, and people like that sort of thing. And he has a pretty re- like big viewer count relative to the Rubik's Cube category. So you know you don't need to be a good cuber to you know, be interesting to watch on the Rubik's Cube category. You just need to, like, really fit, find your niche. Like, what makes you stand out from everybody else and capitalize on that? That's interesting. I'll have to check out Taslin because it sounds like it sounds like he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely not my favorite streamer, um, but I definitely appreciate that, like, it's adds variety to the Rubik's Cube category because otherwise, like, pretty much everything is just a... Like, I am solving cubes, and you are here to watch me solve cubes. Yeah, I feel like whatever I do is going to hopefully be, like, personality-driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not not in that same way, but, like, I, I just want to, like, have lots of, like, banter and jokes and stuff and have it be, like, you tune in, you're going to hear something that's, like, funny and, like, spur of the moment. Yeah, totally. I don't know. That's the goal. Cool. All right, do you want to talk about math again? Yeah, <laughs> math. Okay. So, all right. I read this article um, in, it's an actual mathematics education journal. Um, mm-hmm. It's teacher oriented though. So it's not like a, a hard research journal. It's like practitioner oriented. So they make it like readable for actual in practice teachers, not nece- not just okay. like education researchers. But they basically made this whole article that like described how they basically created like a a um, strand of their math class that was dedicated to teaching kids how to learn how to solve the cube themselves interesting yeah so it's like the uh i think it was mainly targeted like high school students i can't remember exactly i haven't read this in a while now but it was interesting because like the people who are doing this they're math ed researchers like they are interested in math education not rubik's cubes primarily and they came up with like a bunch of different weird things so, like i don't know they um the notation they use is pretty similar to like what we use at least for outer face turns but uh they use instead of m e and s um for like slice turns they use s k and h really any particular reason not sure <laughs> so um <laughs> From what I can tell, so they, they, what's weird is their S is not our S. Their S is the, is what our E is. Oh, okay. And then apparently K is they use because uh, they call that move, at least the name of the move, Beckon. <laughs> what? And they took the K from Beckon, I think, um, <laughs> where the standing slice, they call it a hook and they call that an H because it's like a hook move. How is that a hook move? I, what? I, what am I missing? I'm not sure, but they, they give names to these moves. They so that's like that's M for us, right? Uh, no, hook is S for us. Oh, S. Uh, and beckon is M. 
back. Anyway. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> so my point being, they're not cubers. Like they, uh, they, they had, yeah. they used pretty. Much, they ended up using like the outer layer moves, like the same letters that we do, in like you know R R two. They do inverse because they're mathematicians. So they do instead of mm-hmm. R prime, they use R inverse because that's like a more mathematical way to think about the moves. So like, and by R of inverse, I mean like R to the negative one power. <laughs> Yeah, and then instead of two, they use squared, it looks like. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, they generally, like, mathematically, when you think of moves, you think about them as, like, multiplication. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But, I mean, otherwise, it looks pretty much all the same. But what's interesting is, like, so the, the method they use is very weird. Uh, so, I mean, like, the first two layers, I think, is pretty similar. Like, they, they, they work with having them start by solving a cross and, like, have them, like, use that to gain their intuition. But um, they actually don't go straight to second layer. They, after finishing the first layer, they do the last layer corners. So it turns into, like, a corners first method, but, like, with a first layer. Oh, okay. Is that because, like, the edges are a little bit easier to visualize in terms of, like, how they... How can you use commutators and stuff with the slice moves? I th- the thing is, though, is that the commutators that they use are really weird. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I don't... Because, like, they, they do a lot of things where they have, like, students gain an appreciation for, like, the order of, of, of an element by, like, you know, having them repeat things and noticing that, uh, you know, that the nothing has changed after a certain order and they have them they have them build the idea of commutators as well as like a way for like them to determine like but the thing is is like that the they don't what I, what amazed me is they didn't think about commutators in like a direct way where you think of like how does the insert and interchange elements of them like intersect because that intersection is what's going to determine what is affected. So what do, what do they do? A lot of it, it seems like trial and error. Like they don't give any intuitions for some of their commutators at all. Like here's one of the weird ones too is that um, for positioning the corners, um, they do like this weird like it looks like a J perm almost when you start it out. Like it's R U R prime F prime U prime uh, F R U prime R prime U two. <laughs> and like, uh... yeah. And I'm like, so corner commutators, um, <laughs> because they, they, they remember so, they solve. So they're not, they're, they're like not caring about the edges in this case, right? This right. Is just to position the corners. Right, first. right. Because the method is solve a layer and then solve the remaining corners. Okay, what is this? Is this a commutator? I guess it is. Wh- which are you a prime f prime, u prime? Those are the two yes. elements of the commutator. Yeah, it's a commutator with an extra move to like reposition stuff. Why? <laughs> I I don't know. It's like the general gist I got from like how they had students like develop these moves is like by trial and error. And, like, I'm just kind of amazed there's not more thought, especially put into, like, edge comms, too, because, like, the edge comm they use um, is, uh, oh God, I can't remember if their K goes the same way as M or it's a different way. <laughs> uh, K goes the same way as M. Yes. Okay. That, that algorithm is obviously So... Yeah, and I think that I tried this, and I think it's I think the alg is wrong too. Maybe it's a different one. No, okay, but they do um, basically just like a the edge comp they use to me doesn't like show any intuition as to why it works. It's uh, M U M prime U two M U M prime, 
which also isn't a commutator. <laughs> no, it's not. So there's a lot of things that like they they say that like that a lot of this is built up by sort of intuition of you like uh, with building up like setup. Basically, they talk about uh, setup moves as we think about them, but it, that's just conjugation in terms of mm-hmm. abstract algebra. Um, and like so, if you know a sequence, but you want to affect different pieces, you can conjugate. That is, use setup moves to make it affect different pieces. So I don't know. It's it's really weird to me because it seems like they put a lot of thought into this, but they are just not good cubers. Yeah, and, and it, <laughs> what's especially weird is that like they wouldn't go into the concept of commutators because commutators make so much sense on a Rubik's cube. Mm-hmm. Like, like that's such a good way to understand what commutators are in group theory and whatever because you can very clearly see what pieces are affected by them and stuff. Yeah. And that they wouldn't, like, use that as the example. And they use these weird, unintuitive commutators where you can't clearly see what's affected. Right. Especially, that, especially like, the one we were just talking about where they add that you move at the end. So it's, like, it's not really like you're doing a commutator. You're just doing a sequence of moves that happens to affect these pieces in that way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Where it's, I think that if you break corners down into, like, insert interchange, yeah. like, I mean, pure comms are so easy to teach people. And, like especially because their goal is not even to like permute and orient. It's just permute first and then orient yeah. later. Um, and like, if you're doing that, then you can literally just be like this piece, go here, this piece, go here. Like which one, <laughs> which one do I insert? Which one do I interchange? <laughs> like it's, I don't know. It's that, that's about as intuitive as cube solving can get. And I just really don't understand because like they talk about in the beginning, perhaps the lessons offer students the opportunity to gauge in an exploration of the mathematics underlying non-commutative systems and like the structures resting on the ordinary arithmetic operations are inherently commutative, like addition, multiplication, commute. And the solution of the cube hinges on knowing and strategically using operations for the cube that nearly commute. So like they, they their goal is to like get them to think about commutators and thinking about like what parts do and do not commute, but the mm-hmm. the algorithms they're giving in here like don't actually let people see the intuition behind them. Yeah, at least not to me. And granted, this is a teacher article, so like the the details are obviously going to be chopped down in like this compared to a full research journal article that might like offer more information and I couldn't find anything from them that offered more information mm-hmm. um, than this teacher oriented one. Cause yeah, to me, I'm not sure what they're doing in terms or like, like how t- they would actually present these to students in an intuitive way. It's interesting. Cause I feel like I could teach somebody like something about math and something about cubes by just teaching them to solve the whole thing with commutators. Mm-hmm. Like, basically just teach them a blind method yeah either either teach them a blind method or um like teach them like pure comms with um corners and like pure like pure comms on edges with using like um slice moves as interchanges and the Mm -hmm. same inserts you use for corners Mm -hmm. and then like you could also teach them like how like commutators for twisting corners because like the the general like take a corner out repetitively and put it back in and then undo that same sequence to like twist two corners. Like that's a very intuitive commutator because you can literally show them how like doing sexy move over and over only affects one piece of that layer. Yeah. So just affect that one piece un like move the layer and undo the effect and the rest will turn solved. Like that's, that's, and they do use that as like one main example to show how like the, like the power of like moves that nearly commute. Mm hmm. 
because like you could see how like you know in the form a b a prime b prime um a and b you need to basically find an a and b that intersect at only like a very small subset of pieces yeah and that's a, they use that in this paper as like an example of that but they don't talk about how any of the other algs do that <laughs> so i'm very confused <laughs> at least in that respect yeah is there somewhere that uh like our listeners could find this online or is does it, is it like a private journal it's behind a paywall yeah unfortunately um and i would feel weird sharing this yeah if it were my pa- the thing is if it were my paper i would gladly share it but i don't know what protections or what things that i don't know maybe we could write yeah. the authors and just be like hey you wanna <laughs> that's actually been my plan i didn't do it just because i didn't want to start uh a whole email thread while i was still teaching but i just finished teaching so uh uh now more free to do things like this with my time <laughs> um so yeah i might actually try emailing them and be like cool. hey i have some suggestions <laughs> i mean what the first suggestion because one thing they did mention in here too is that like uh they talked about how like having solved cubes at the ready is nice as like a playground to understand like determine what things get affected mm-hmm. um and they talked about how it was co- like cost prohibitive to buy too many cu- like ru- cubes assuming they were buying like rubik's branded ones oh uh, yeah now just be like hey ever heard of a chi sale <laughs> um, oh i really want to ring the bell for that uh, i know right <laughs> <laughs> is your mind primed to find these ales <laughs> yes and i haven't really been mis- listening for the other things so i uh, might have oh. missed something <laughs> whoopsies uh, yeah i was wondering because i haven't i didn't hear the bell at the beginning of the show so i was like i wonder if i've rang the bell like six or seven times and i just haven't heard it <laughs> No, I, I just have not been very vigilant, although I don't think you've said anything. Well, you know, I'll email these people and maybe they'll respond to me. And if they do, we'll talk about it on a future episode. All right. Sounds good. As you know, I'm sure we end these episodes with new SEE event. Well, also, hold on, Kit. Yeah. Hollywood, Maryland fact of the day. Oh, yes, I am ready. OK, go. I want to hear that first because that's very important. Oh, it's incredibly important. Uh, did you know that the fire department in Hollywood, Maryland is a volunteer fire department? Wow. Yeah. That's that's like many fire departments. <laughs> <laughs> For small little communities, yeah. Yeah. Well, yep. All right. So it is. Um, it was started in 1956. Uh-huh. And um, unclear if it is still volunteer-based, but they call it a volunteer fire department still on the building, so probably. So, yeah, all right. Did you just, like, Google image that or, like, Google Maps that and then go to Street View and look at their fire department? Yeah. Why? That's great. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I don't know how, but it, given that the the Hollywood is a small town and that, like, there are many listeners uh, of the podcast from Hollywood, Maryland. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's very likely that one of our listeners is a volunteer is a firefighter. Volunteer firefighter. So get in touch and let us know. Is it still a volunteer fire department? Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, it's also the website of the volunteer fire department is uh, designed and hosted by Firehouse Solutions. All so, right. That's pretty yeah. cool. That Apparently they have a fire department focused website hosting nice what, what is that website by the way so that people can check it out for themselves the, of the volunteer fire department yeah 
Uh, it's uh, HTTP not S uh, <laughs> colon slash slash uh, www dot hvfd7 dot com. All right, <laughs> go check it out, people. Uh, yeah, totally. <laughs> so yeah, um. I actually said a real URL. I was like, am I going to joke this URL? Nah, okay. That's, that, that's an Andrew bit. <laughs> Let's talk about our new SEE events for this week. So, Kit, what did you come up with? Well, see, Andrew, I didn't necessarily come up with a new event as I just discussed with you many modifications to your event from last week. Yep, me too. <laughs> So we both very intentionally planned to not do new events this week because we definitely remembered and planned this. Yes, very remembered and planned. Much and remembered. Instead, we're just going to talk about the modifications we made to the event that I came up with last week. Mm-hmm. Well, first, before we do that, let's talk about the results from last yes. week, too. All right. So as we discussed on the podcast last week, just as a reminder, I got a 14 slash 48, I think. Mm-hmm. So 14 pockets, 48 moves. If you want to know what this is, go listen to the last episode because it's hard to describe quickly. Well, also, one one clarification that we should make, we're calling the sets of moves pockets. Oh, that is good. It was actually 1446, I should say. Um, okay. Yes, right. We we came up with that after the episode. So you know how in my thing you like generate a set of moves by rolling dice or whatever? We are yeah. calling that set of moves a pocket. That way we are we can call the event fewest pockets. Yeah, and it's on brand. Uh, so um, my result for the uh, the attempt was a, I think, was it 11 pockets? Uh, you have a link to your d- solution here. No, it was 12. 12 pockets. Um, it was 12 pockets in 41 moves. Right. So you beat me there. Yeah. Regrettably, though, I had three blank pockets. Yep. <laughs> I, there were just times where I was like, I think at the end of my fourth pocket, I had everything but a two by two by three, and I just needed an R move to close it. And like, there was no way I could like even influence like EO because like both the edges that were around the two by two by three were already oriented. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, I just need an R. And then I draw two straight pockets with no R's. Yep. I, so, I remember that area as well. I believe I was looking for an R around there too, and it, and at least one of those I really needed that R. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I, I there were very few R's in general, like in the whole pockets, yeah. like the, in the first half of it, anyways. Um, like I think, let's see, there were one, two, th- yeah, there were three R's in the first four pockets total. Yeah. <laughs> so, makes sense that like you're especially if you used all of them like I did, that you probably needed like a fourth R yep. to you know, <laughs> potentially undo an open sort of move that you might have made. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that really screwed me there a little bit. Uh, and then it happened to me again later um, where I had an F12 minus one and I was trying to get to um, a... What was I doing? Oh, yeah. I, I was trying to do some sort of insert, I think, to... Um, or did I just make the pair? I made the pair. Okay. Yeah, I was I was trying to do an F2L case, basically, um, to finish my F2L. And I needed a D move 
mm-hmm. basically to do it. And I ran into a pocket without a D move. Yeah. <laughs> so um, basically what we learned from doing a lot of these attempts, though, is that like RNG sucks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so we made some changes. Oh, but also I should mention that the best solution I saw from anybody in like uh, commenting on the forum or the subreddit or anything was a 10 pocket 49 move solved by Bartogian. So congratulations. You did the best solve with the example scramble. Was there someone else who got 10 though? I thought X, X, Y, Z, Z, X, Z, 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 got a good. Um, Yep, uh, XYZZY also got 10 rolls, but in 46 moves. Oh, okay, so that was actually better? I think just by, did you say it was by 49? Three moves? Yeah, the other was 49, so 1046 was the best? All right. That's, yeah, XYZZY got 1046. All right, well, congrats, XYZZY. You are now the most mentioned person on the podcast ever. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, we don't do guests, but maybe we should bring XYZZY on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because this is almost turning into XYZZY's podcast. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> we're just a, we're like the proxy like speakers for XYZZY. Yeah. <laughs> wait, is uh, that's that funny? Wait, are you XYZZY in chat? Somebody says in parentheses, "Hi, I'm here." Your username is an XYZZY. <gasps> it is you. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, this is your podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Anyways, though, so we made some modifications to this event basically to try to eliminate some of the RNG crap that happens. Yeah. Um, there was also a modification we made because, um, well, I guess, I don't know, this was sort of RNG focused. One thing that I noticed is that it was very easy to um, use moves early in the solve where, like, as you went on, it basically became harder because you were your solution was gets more determined as you get through the solve. Yeah, like once you're at a certain point, it's like there's only so many ways you can finish. A solve. Right. And so w- one way that I started with trying to think about how we could combat the RNG is to make the number of moves in each pocket change throughout. Um, where you start with very few moves in the beginning, but toward the end you have a lot of moves to work with. Um, what we eventually settled on in that respect was... It increases every two pockets, and you start at eight, um, but then once you get over a certain point, it just increases linearly. Linear? Well, I guess it's always linear. It increases every pocket. Um, so I, if it would just go eight, eight in terms of the number of moves in each pocket, then nine, nine, 10, 10, 11, 11, 12, 12. Then once you hit 13, it just goes 13, 14, 15, 16. I don't know why exactly we settled on that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think but that... It um, does feel pretty good, though. It feels like it works. Yeah, we, we tried a few things. I um I think going lower than 8 is just way too restrictive at the beginning. Yeah, 8 feels really good for the start, though, because I've had a lot of solves that I've done in practice where I've had to come up with some creative solutions at the start or make some difficult decisions. Like, like oh, I see this like really easy 2x2x2 two by two by two or 2x2x3 two by two by or you know whatever solution. It's like, I see a really mm-hmm. nice solution for that but I just don't have one of the moves I need. Is it worth it to do some of the moves and stop yeah. or try to find something better with the moves I have? And that's been, those. it's it's led to interesting decisions. It's yeah. restrictive enough, but also has enough moves to work with. Yeah, and we felt that increasing like by one move every pocket at the beginning would, might just be way too much. Yeah. Uh, because I, I, basically by the time you get to like 13 or 14 moves in a pocket, like you're almost, 
I mean, you're never guaranteed to get every move, but it becomes very likely that you get at least one of every move. Yeah. Although I've done some attempts where that's definitely not been the yeah. case. So. <laughs> uh, but it, it's like if you get to that point too early, it almost like doesn't force you to be creative early on. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it basically goes eight, eight, nine, nine, ten, ten, eleven, eleven, twelve, twelve, and then that's your tenth pocket. And after ten, it goes linearly. Or <laughs> I said linearly again when it's all linear. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it goes every. It increases everything after that. So then thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, and so forth. So on and so forth. So that that seemed to work well. Um, but it was still really frustrating when you roll a pocket that just doesn't have a move you need. And what did we try to fix this at first? At first, we tried just saying, like, if you want, you can always just choose to skip the next pocket and mm-hmm. just take two free moves of your choice. Yeah. That was and the think, first idea. Do we still, do, are we still doing that rule or no? I haven't been, but okay. also I just feel like it's almost never worth it to do it anymore with the new rules. So I agree. Yeah. But it, it, it was nice, I think, though, for... Um, like if you're just a couple moves away from done, like you finish a pocket, like and you literally have to apply like F U at the end. Yeah. F U uh, kit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, those were not carefully chosen letters <laughs> at all. Um so if you just have to apply like two moves at the end, like I think it's fair to just be like, Do I really have to roll to make sure I can do this? Like, come on. Uh so I don't know. I think it's nice on that regard, but also it's like, I don't know. Anyways. Um yeah, we at first we were considering setting it to three, but then it was like it, you could almost much. just be as efficient just doing three moves per pocket, right? Like the whole well, solve. <laughs> the other thing too is that um, there's a trade-off to taking guaranteed moves in that uh, if you choose to just take the free moves, um, you don't get to advance the number of moves in your pocket. Yeah. Um, so there was a trade-off there too. So like if like on your fourth turn which should be a nine move pocket, you decide to take the guaranteed two or three or whatever moves, your next pocket wouldn't have 10 moves. It would still have nine. Like you still have to get through that random set of moves. So there's going to be some element of trade off there. But all of that's kind of irrelevant because we actually didn't really decide to do that. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Instead, we came up with a banking system where... Moves that you don't use in one round, you can roll over some of them, or you don't use in one pocket, you can roll over some to future pockets. Specifically, the balance we came up with is, for every five moves you don't use in a pocket, you are allowed to save one of those moves um, Mm -hmm. for future pockets. And you just put it in a bank, the bank is available for you to draw from at any time. And that actually adds an interesting element of strategy, I found, where choosing which moves to bank is kind of a difficult question and i feel like that's definitely like an area where you can improve a lot and like make better choices in your solves especially early on if you can predict far enough ahead in your solve where you're like this is going to be my most common move i should bank it yeah Yeah. i I just feel like that's cool Um, yeah you can still get droughted on a particular move though yeah absolutely but it doesn't feel quite as bad while you are because it's like oh i'm missing our moves but now i'm saving all the other moves i need so as soon as i get our moves i'll be good to go yeah because it it, 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 if you are getting droughted like you do get to save other moves which can often give you so many moves that you can do something a different way that's more pocket efficient but not necessarily move efficient yeah uh like there there were a lot of solves where i knew i like when i was getting towards the end of the solve i would try to like predict what pll i was gonna have 
Um, mm, yeah. Which is also an interesting thing we should talk about with this event that I found myself using f- like fewest moves moves techniques less often than I expected to. A lot <laughs> of the times I would just finish with like OLL PLL. But yeah, so I would like predict what PLL I was going to use and then like try to predict what angle I was going to try to solve it from and bank moves specifically for that. Yeah. Um, one thing I've noticed is that, uh, when I've tried to do more fewest movesy kind of techniques where I like make skeletons and then just like solve the, the pieces at the end directly, mm-hmm. um, is that like, for example, corner comms are very intensive on a particular face. Yeah. Right. It's like, are you prime D? R U prime R prime D prime. You're right. using three faces for that whole thing and you're using a ton of R moves. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like one face has to be used basically four times in a pure corner com. Yeah. Um, and like when I did my solve, like I wasn't getting, like I got to three corners, I think in my, um, attempt, the first attempt I did on your example solve, I ended up, I was like, I basically couldn't do the first move, but I had so many other moves saved up that I could get one move closer by doing like a setup to a different (laughs) pure com and starting that one. Um, and even considering the setup moves, I was one move closer to being solved. So I just was like, well, that's one move better so i'm just gonna do that and i think i had to do like five or six extra moves but i was like i i think it's worth it (laughs) yeah so i I think that actually those are the interesting things that i like that come out of the event like the randomness can be frustrating but it does Mm -hmm. lead to solutions that you definitely wouldn't see in a fewest moves attempt yeah and also algs that use a lot of different types of faces are really nice too like what we love g perms yeah g perms (laughs) are like great because they use so many different faces especially if you yeah if you do the wide move g perms they're so good wide moves in general are just great because they like change out all of the faces you're turning right yeah so it it, it, because i don't know it's funny that we learn like algs for ergonomics but it's like to do well at this event you almost want to learn algs that are (laughs) non-ergonomic you want to learn like the worst algs yeah (laughs) Alex, that use as many faces as possible. Yeah, because just like the distribution of moves you have tends to be more like, you know, roughly even between the different types of moves you have access to. So yeah. in order to take advantage of that, you want to turn as many faces as possible. Exactly. G- yeah. G perms are great. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like if I really cared about getting good at this event, I would like learn uh, like OLLs <laughs> and PLLs that are like terrible ergonomically. <laughs> Yeah, like like the optimal that one op uh like optimal J perm I think is pretty good. Oh yeah, because again, yeah, it uses a wide move. Yeah, it uses a wide move, <laughs> and so it's th- so it's like move efficient and uses many faces. So I feel like that's a good alg. Yeah, well, I imagine there's a, like a lot of move efficient algs. Um, like, do you know um optimal F perm? I don't think so. No. Yeah, optimal F perm's crazy. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> let's see i think it, let's see how many faces it use it uses r u uh f and is it really just r u f it doesn't feel like it whenever i do it <laughs> i guess it is it's just a weird r u f algorithm that i do that i do a lot of rotations on it might not be optimal actually now that i think about it there might be like a one move shorter version of f perm mm. i don't know um god it, i just it, i end up doing so many rotations on the thing i thought it was more faces but i guess not Oh, well. Optimal H is decent. Oh, that's true too. Yeah, if you do um, the or at uh, least one of the optimal H's. Yeah, the one that like you take out F two L pairs and put them back a different way. Yeah, and then because that uses all every face except your D face. Yep. Yeah, that's a good thing. H perm is so common. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, well, XYZZY is telling me that optimal isn't RUF, so yeah, I don't think mine is optimal. I think it might be one move short of optimal. Mm. But I see. It's 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 many many fewer moves than the typical like setup to T perm F yeah. perm <laughs> that people more commonly use. So yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was an interesting thing. Uh, I find it like it was a really interesting revelation when I realized like I can do a G perm in one pocket here. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I got a G perm in a solve that I did, uh, too recently with, with this event. And, uh, it was, um, I think it took me a couple pockets, but I was like, whoa, wait, I'm getting through so many moves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, how is this happening? But yeah, so those are the new rules. So just to quickly summarize for anybody and I'll, uh, I'll probably do a write up of this and put a link to it in the show notes. Pockets go eight, eight, nine, nine, 10, 10, 11, 11, 12, 12, 13, 14, 15, et cetera. You can for every five moves you don't use within a single pocket, you can bank one move to use later at any time. So that means if it's a 10-move pocket and you do nothing, you can bank two moves. Yep. If it's a 13-move pocket and you do three moves, you can bank two moves. And... Yeah, is that it? <laughs> yeah, I think that's about it, really. Those are the rules? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, banking becomes interesting. Like, um, one thing I was going to say earlier, I forgot to. Um, when I'm trying to do EO starts early on, um, sometimes I get into situations where like on the second or third pocket, I want to bank, but I haven't really block builded anything yet. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, I don't know. Or like my block build is still very free at least. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I have no clue what to bank. <laughs> like, yeah, it's cause generally like what I've noticed is like, so like if you build a block, you generally want to bank moves that don't intersect with the block. Yeah. And you especially want to like, once, once it becomes clear, kind of what your U face is going to be. Yeah, like you want the of, yeah you want the U face because that's your most common move during your F twelve. Yeah, exactly. And especially too, because um, like if you have that available, you can AUF to do an ALG from a different angle that right. you might have more moves of at that time. Yeah. Um. So yeah, like whatever, whatever your last. If you're doing any sort of like method with a last layer, you generally want to bank moves for whatever your last layer is. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, and by the way, I also made a. Uh, bash script uh that's available on my github if anybody wants to check that out for generating pockets i'm probably going to rewrite it in python and make it better um mm. i just did it in bash because i wanted to experiment with bash <laughs> but i can write i could have written it in python so much more easily and better so i probably will do that but for now there's a bash script available i'll put a link to that in the show notes as well yeah if you do write it in python i can at least make it into an executable file that okay, would sure. be like command yeah. prompt line sort of stuff. Yeah, I've done that in the past. But oh, you've I done it too. Okay. I don't remember how, so I'll let you yeah. do it. <laughs> well, I've also done it in the past, and I don't exactly remember how. But uh, I see. <laughs> yeah, I I've written a few like programs for like educational purposes, mm -hmm. as like for like building like activities in class. Um, so uh, that uh, I've done. So that that that's the only reason I know how. <laughs> <laughs> But I did that like two or three years ago. So I don't know. I, I could probably figure it out again, but it's been a while. All right. Cool. So does that wrap us up here? I think so. I got to add your Hollywood Maryland fact of the day to our show notes. Cause... Oh, yes. Yeah, this this segment's not going to last long. I'm going to tell you that. Oh, uh... it's so good, though. <laughs> I love it. And I'm sure our listeners from Hollywood Maryland love it, too. So what are you doing the rest of your day, Andrew? Oh, well, I'm glad you asked, Kit. Uh, I am, 
uh, uh, I'm trying to check my calendar. Uh, oh, the only thing on my calendar is record layer by layer. Oh no. You actually have, have a, you use a calendar and put layer by layer recordings on it. I do. <laughs> do you not? <laughs> no, I don't know. I am like really bad at it comes to organization. I, um, I, it like, this is something that's becoming more troubling as I get older, but like pretty much like when I was a, like an undergrad, I basically didn't schedule anything. Like my mind kept track of every commitment that I needed to be at. Mm-hmm. Like I just mentally calendared everything and it's slowly starting to not work as I get older. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've, I've just recently started like more heavily using my calendar itself mm-hmm. and the way I got that to work because I tried it once and I would forget to check the calendar, so it was just useless. Um, but now I have a reminder every day that says to ch- to check my to do list and to check my calendar, and so those like appear like as a top level notification on my phone. So I actually do those things, and then I usually ignore what's in the to do list because, like, come on. Uh, and <laughs> but I at least know what I'm doing on the day for the calendar, so that's kind of nice. I it, it I it's something I really should get better at. It's just my mind is not good at um like recording things that i need to do physically yeah (laughs) i don't know why like it like every time i try to organize myself in terms of like sketch like having schedules or things like i just stop doing it eventually yep i was the same way that's why having a recurring reminder every single day yeah is that, that was what it took for me to actually get it to the point where now I'll like consistently remember to check or to add stuff to my calendar because also every day I'm remembering to check my calendar. Mm, uh, yeah. That makes sense. Uh, Maybe I'll give it a try. All right. Well, uh, this has been organizing your life with Andrew and Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Um, layer by layer podcast started hour and half ago. <laughs> what? <laughs> what should I? Am I supposed to calendar the future? You know what? You do whatever makes you happy. (laughs) I just realized I did not come up with a new SEE event. Oh, no. (laughs) I didn't either. Uh, (laughs) Maybe in that section we can just talk about our refinements to fewest pockets.